Please pray with me. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. If you've been following along these past four weeks, then you will know that we've made it. We are at the end. Today is the fifth and final Sunday of Jesus' Bread of Life discourse. Since the last Sunday in July, we've been reading a portion of John chapter 6 each week, and we've essentially been hearing Jesus say the same thing for each one of those weeks. I am the bread of life. It's almost as if Sherry Lewis was in charge of the lectionary. This is the metaphor that never ends. Yes, it goes on and on, my friends. Clearly, some of you didn't watch Lamb Chop the Puppet on PBS when you were growing up. Next Sunday, mercifully, we move back to Mark's gospel account. But before we go back to Mark, we get this last Sunday of Jesus speaking to the disciples about bread. I think it might be helpful to review quickly where we've been these past weeks as everything reaches its climax in today's portion of John 6. In week, in week 1, Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes and then feeds 5,000 hungry people. Week 2, some in the hungry crowd follow Jesus because they want more food, and he tells them to look for the true bread from heaven that gives eternal life, which he says is himself. In week three, Jesus goes even further with the bread of life image and tells the religious authorities that whoever eats his flesh will live forever. And then last week, week four, Jesus seems to do away with the metaphor entirely and comes right out and says that his flesh and his blood are true food and true drink. And so, here we are today, week five. We've made it to the end, and honestly, it's sort of a sad ending, I think. The text appointed for today says that when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? And then a few verses later, John writes that because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. Now, as a preacher, I know a bit about saying things that people don't always like. This may surprise you, but I will occasionally get phone calls or emails or even have conversations with individuals who don't agree with something that I've said in a sermon. None of you, of course, would ever do that, but others uh, who think that I said something that I shouldn't have said or that I didn't say something that maybe I should have said in a sermon. Most of those calls and emails lead to more conversations, conversations which then lead to a, a greater understanding of each other. All good in the end, I think. But sometimes, sometimes someone will say something to me like, I'm really disappointed that you said X, Y, or Z. Or even worse than that is when they'll say, I'm really disappointed with St. John's Church. Sort of like a dagger to the heart. Disagreement is one thing. Disappointing another stings on a whole different level. It's like when our parents used to say to us, I'm not, I'm not angry with you, I'm just disappointed. I wonder if if that's a bit of what's happening in this text for today. These, these disciples, in addition to being confused, they, they find themselves just disappointed with what Jesus is saying. What he's saying isn't easy. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, and, and maybe that he would, they were hoping that he would back down a bit. 
but he doesn't. He, he doubles down today. You think that teaching is difficult, he says. Well, what if you saw me ascend into the heavens? If you can't believe what I'm saying, then you won't believe that either. And so they leave, disappointed and confused, and as John says, unable to believe. And then Jesus, almost as if he's ready for a fight, turns to the remaining disciples and says, well, are you all ready to leave too? Do you also wish to go away? Do you also wish to go away, he says. It's a question that most Christians and and most practitioners of any faith tradition ask themselves, I think, at some point in their lives. Do Do I really want to stay when all of this, fill in the blank, when all of this is going on in my life? or in my church. Think about what's happening in our own country and even in our own city right now within the Roman Catholic Church. Priests praying on the most vulnerable in their care, children, and then we find out that that some in the hierarchy, rather than turn those priests over to the authorities, sought rather to cover up the crimes, to move bad clergy around, to carry on as if nothing bad was happening, as if everything was okay. It's soul-crushing. It's a soul-crushing time, and many faithful Catholics are asking themselves, do I, do I really want to stay? Can I stay? And, and who can blame them for asking those questions? And we do it, too, at different times for different reasons. When we're faced with loss or illness or tragedy, heartbreak or despair, trying times in our, in our lives, we may, we may find ourselves asking if it might be better if we just went, if we went elsewhere. Maybe I can find what I need in some other place. Maybe I just need a break. Do I really want to stay? I've always wondered if those who, who departed thought that those who remained, those 12 who remained, were just a little too trusting of Jesus. Or maybe they thought that those who remained were just the, the religious fanatics, the fundamentalists of Jesus' day. Or maybe Maybe they admired their faith and wished that they, too, had it. Maybe they prayed a prayer similar to the one that that Flannery O'Connor once wrote in her prayer journal. She said, Dear God, I, I cannot love thee the way that I want to. You are the slim crescent of a moon, and myself is the earth's shadow that keeps me from seeing all the moon. I do not know you, God, because I am in the way. Maybe they prayed something like that as they saw these remaining disciples. It's all speculation, of course, on my part, but, but I imagine, I imagine that they were perplexed, but, but also enamored by the remaining disciples' faith. <coughs> there was a great story last week in the Washington Post about President Carter, the uncelebrity president, as they called him. I'm sure many of you read the article, and, and like me, if you read it, you probably came away with an even greater ad, admiration for how, how he lives his life. As I read it, though, it reminded me of when President Carter discussed being diagnosed with melanoma of the brain a few years ago in 2015. If you remember back to that, to that news conference that he gave, it was, at least for me, and I watched it again this past week, it was, it was incredibly moving to hear him talk about his diagnosis. And he said at one point, I'm perfectly at ease with whatever comes my way. He said, I have a deep religious faith, which I am very grateful for. That's a faith that I, that I don't always have, but I wish I had. I'm certainly not perfectly at ease with whatever comes my way. I hope that one day I too can have a faith like President Carter. 
I wonder if that's some of what's going on with these disciples as they look at those who are staying back. There are a host of reasons why those disciples left, why we might think about leaving, why others have left, just as there are a host of reasons why the others, other disciples stayed, why, why we stay and why others want to come and be a part of this, this church, this body of Christ. But for me, the main reason that I stay, it's summed up in Peter's response to Jesus' question. Jesus asks, do you also wish to go away? And Peter says, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. What I hear Peter saying and what I often say to myself is that even, even if I leave, even if we choose to go away, even if we can't continue on, Jesus, Jesus promises to never leave us. And it's how I seek to live my life in relationship with others, to be there, to be supportive, to be caring, to be as loving as I can be to those who are sisters and brothers in the faith. I said a few weeks ago that the bread of life discourse, for me at least, is all about community and connection. It's about our deeper connection with Jesus as we receive the bread and the wine, the body and the blood, but it's, it's also about connecting us one to another, knitting us together as the very body of Christ. If you were here that first Sunday in August, I used that image of an invisible thread connecting us each to another. I think that's what this, what this discourse is all about. And the church, the body of Christ at its very best is just that. It's a place where we pray together, where we walk together, where we ask questions together, where we doubt together. Sometimes we come into this place and we are the ones doing the heavy lifting and other times when we come in we can rest in the assurance that there are others seated around us who will lift us up if that is what we need. That is what the church is all about. That's what it means to be connected one to another in the body of Christ. Now I like to, I like to think that the crowd of disciples who left Jesus made their way back at some point. There's nothing in the scriptures that tells us that that's what's happened, but that's what I like to think happened. I like to think that they made their way back at some point over the course of their lives, and when they came back, when they came back, they were welcomed not with judgmental stares, not with side-eye of some kind, but with open hearts and open minds and open arms, knowing that God in Christ and the people of God never left them. Jesus says to us again today, he says, I am the bread of life. Some of us don't need him. Some of us don't want him. Some of us can't understand what he might be trying to say to us because it's a difficult teaching to accept. Others of us cannot imagine life without him, without this bread, because in it we find that very life. In it we find peace. In it we find the hope and the strength that we need to continue on. Wherever you are, whatever you believe, I hope that you know that God in Christ is with you, that God in Christ will never leave you, and that God in Christ seeks to meet you just where you are. The Iona community, which is, community, which is a, a Scottish Christian ecumenical community, they have an invitation uh, that I've always liked, and I'll, I'll end with, with the invitation. 
They use it when they gather at the altar for Holy Communion. Uh, listen, listen to these words that that community say. They say, Come, you who have much faith, and you who have little. Come, you who have been here often, and come, you who have not been here for a long time. Come, you who have tried to follow, and come, you who are still searching. Come, not because it is we who invite you, but because it is our Lord who invites you. It is our Lord's will that those who want to find God shall meet God here. Amen.